This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're finishing chapter 17. The scene recorded here is unique among the Gospels, but the history and background of the author tell us why he would include this when the others did not see the point. Matthew was a tax collector by trade, a paragovernmental official. He saw the way governments worked and, guided by the Holy Spirit, knew it was important that Christians understand authority and the role of government. Today, we'll grapple with the biblical view of government and test our own willingness to allow God to be sovereign in our world, even when we don't understand. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Listen to Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to them, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shackle. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So let's break up this scene into its natural parts for a better understanding here. I want to talk to you first about the test. There's a test and then there's a teaching here in this scene. We're going to talk about them both. The test, verses 24 through 25. The text collectors came to Peter to challenge him, to test him, to see whether or not Christianity was an insurrectionist movement. Now again, Matthew, a text collector by trade, was particularly interested in that because he was one of the most hated men in Capernaum because he was a sellout, according to the Jewish people. He would have bought a franchise, a text franchise, from Rome and therefore Rome was expecting him to pay them a certain amount of money but whatever he charged above that amount of money it was his to pocket now this was before he came to Christ but he needed to understand how Christ's followers should interact with this distinct Jewish law because of the system of government at the time Jews living in the Roman province of Judea were supposed to submit to Rome and to these particular specific temple laws this was a temple They had permission to do that for the maintenance of the temple. And here's Jesus saying, so as not to offend them. But wait a minute. Jesus is talking about not offending people. Just a few chapters ago, the disciples came to him and said, teacher, you are offending the Pharisees. Did you know that? And of course he knew. The point is, our conduct shouldn't offend people. We should offend people because of the confrontational message that we speak. It's a message of self-denial. Jesus was very clear just a, a few scenes ago here when he said, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me if you are my disciples. That is offensive. Who wants to hear that type of message that you need to deny yourself? I mean, preachers contradict that message. Preachers who claim to be speaking for God will say, don't deny yourself, but, but grant yourself everything that your heart wants. Completely opposite to what Jesus is saying. So that is a a very offensive message. But Jesus is saying now, let the message offend people, not our conduct, so as not to cause scandal to them. Let us pay our taxes. And then he provided for that tax liability. So 
The interesting part of this question that the text collectors asked Jesus is this, if you notice. What does your teacher say? At least at, at that point, they did not want to identify with Christ. So they said to Peter, he is your teacher. We're checking this out. We, we, we're not sure what this is all about. So in the meantime, he's your teacher. So what does your teacher say? What, what, what kind of movement is that that you guys are creating? Is this some sort of an insurrectionist movement and a rebellion? Are we now required to abandon our civic duties? So they're checking it out. They're testing, Peter. They want to know what this is all about. And the scene here is very clear that, no, if we're believers in Christ, we're not called upon to abandon our civic duties. There's a clause that we will talk about here in a moment. The only one exception to that, but hold on, we, we will get to that in a moment. But they had already heard Jesus destroy completely the religion of the Pharisees. This is a Sermon on the Mount when Jesus calls them out by calling them hypocrites, by saying, well, your teachers say this, your Pharisaical teachers say this, but I say that. So they've had already heard Jesus confront the religion of the time, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So they're thinking, well, wait a minute. Is he now tearing apart Judaism as well? Is he now commanding his followers to not pay this tax? The answer to that question, church, had significant implications for the local people. Because if Christians refused to pay this particular tax, the collectors and the temple would lose income as the new religion grew. And imagine if the people stopped paying that tax. They would say, well, wait a minute. They want to destroy our way of living here, our society. This was, would cause an unnecessary offense to them. And again, we are not to cause unnecessary offense to people. The message is already offensive. But let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt, the collectors here. Let's not assign them bad motives. They had the same question that non-believers have today. They want to know what we're all about. They, they are watching us like hawks. They want to know how we interact with local governments. They want to know whether Christians are contributing members of the society here or some sort of a separatist, anti-establishment group. And we're not, church. God has placed us in this particular city, in this particular state, this particular country at this time, and we are to be contributing members of that. It doesn't mean we're supposed to approve of everything they do. In fact, we do not. But the point is specifically in dealing with local tax laws, according to Jesus, non-compliance will cause unnecessary offense and hinder, really, our testimony. And by the way, if you refuse to pay taxes, you may go to jail. So I don't recommend it. Peter's answer probably means that he had seen Jesus pay tax before. Remember, the tax collectors asked Peter, does your teacher pay tax? And he said, yes. He didn't say, well, wait a minute, let me go check with him. He probably has seen Jesus pay that tax before. That is why he answered so promptly here. That's the test. That's the challenge that the people uh, proposed to, to Peter here, a follower of Christ. But here's the teaching according to verses 25 through 27. Jesus took the opportunity to teach the disciples, including you and me, about how we should interact with local laws, the proper response, using a very specific example. Here's a portion of scripture that confronts our Americanness, church. And remember, I am a, a naturalized citizen of this country. I love my adopted country here, but I am first and foremost a citizen of heaven. So I need to understand that while I'm here, I enjoy the benefits of American citizenship. I enjoy the responsibilities, I need to pay my taxes and all of that. I need to obey the local laws, knowing that this is not my final destination. We take pride as U.S. citizens in the revolution that took place. But again, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are not to be quarrelsome. The Bible says this very clearly. We are, we're not to be seen as rebels or anti-government warriors. We have a much higher calling, a much nobler 
calling. Philippians 4, verse 6, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In Romans 12, verse 18, Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 1 Peter 2, verse 17, honor all people, love their brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You see, we don't have kings here in the United States. We have presidents. But when Peter is writing this, he is under the oppressive government of Nero. Read up on that emperor and you will know how hostile he was against Christians. And yet Peter is saying, honor the king. And the reason for all these mandates in scripture, church, is because we have a well-defined mission as members of the kingdom of heaven, which has nothing to do with evading taxes, nothing to do with refusing to follow rules, and we don't overthrow the government. We have a very clear and well-defined mission. And that mission is this, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. We are the pillar and support of the truth. We die on that hill. We don't compromise truth. We speak it gently, peacefully, whether that costs our lives or not. And it's becoming even more and more unpopular by the week here in our society because we live in a post-Christian society, in case you haven't noticed. So the need to speak the truth has never been greater here in our country because people are so confused about what the truth is. They, we don't know the difference between boy and girl. So the need to be the pillar and the support of the truth has never been greater. Furthermore, according to Matthew 28, verse 19, at the end of the gospel, we are to make disciples of every nation. See, we have to be busy with those two missions. Furthermore, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, according to Matthew 5, verses 13 through 14. So we need to be very careful that we do not commit any unnecessary offense. We don't cause any hindrance to that mission by being distracted, spending all our energy in secondary issues, tertiary issues. And my friend, rising up against the government is a secondary tertiary issue. According to the Bible, that's not even our mission. It's the opposite. We thank God for our freedom and for the blessing of participating in the political process. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not have that blessing. And yet, they are called upon to complete the same mission you and I are called upon to complete. So how should believers, how should we believers relate to local laws when we don't like them, when we don't agree with them, or when they violate our conscience? I am glad you asked, because the Bible is so clear about the issue. It's not even debatable. The Bible is clear about the issue here. And I'm going to offer you two answers from another portion of Scripture that will address this question here. Because again, this is what is in the mind of the disciples. Matthew particularly, because he's saying, how should we interact in the world? Jesus already gave them the answer. We follow Christ by obeying local rules. We don't cause unnecessary offense. But here's how the remainder of the Bible, specific passages, elaborate on that. First of all, we recognize the origin of authority. I want you to understand that very clearly. Let me read from Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So let me read this again in case you missed it. Every person, that includes you and me, Christians or not, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And here's the reason. There is no authority except from God. So pastor, you mean to tell me God put Joe Biden in the White House? Yes, regardless of whether or not you voted for him. You mean to tell me he put Hitler in power, Mussolini and all of these guys? No, I don't, I'm not saying that. The Bible is. 
There is no authority other than the ones that exist, and the ones that exist are established by God. Now, God is sovereign. We don't always understand his purposes. We don't have to. We just need to trust him. So even if you don't understand God's purposes, why he allows some things to happen, it doesn't mean he's less sovereign just because my brain cannot understand his rationale, his reasons. He is sovereign. So according to this passage, every form of government shares a common element. And that common element is permission to rule. We understand that? Rulers rule because they have permission to rule. They govern church by delegated authority. You understand that? They don't have inherent authority. They have delegated authority. God allows them to rule. On the other hand, Jesus, the sovereign of the universe, has eternal authority because he is the originator of authority. He rules from eternity past and will continue to rule from eternity future. Again, just because we don't understand his purposes here on a global scale or on a personal level. Well, why is this happening to me? That's the quintessential question that Christians ask all the time. The point is, I don't know. I just need to trust the Lord that whatever is happening is for his glory. Because according to the book of Romans, remember chapter 8, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So even if there's a Christian in a concentration camp suffering, that is for the glory of the Lord. There is a divine purpose for that that we may not understand on this side of glory. We will one day perhaps with glorified minds. But again, Jesus has complete authority that will never end. According to the prophecy about his birth, I want you to listen to this, Isaiah 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Furthermore, in the angelic announcement about the nativity, in Luke 1 verse 33, we are told that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So the point here, church, is that every pharaoh, every Caesar, every Nazi Fuhrer, every fascist Duce, every American president, every member of the house of Windsor, every sultan only rose to prominence for one reason. And that one reason is this, whether they were crowned by religious leaders like the popes used to do, or senates appointed them, whether they were born into royalty, or people voted them in, the only reason every leader ever sat on a throne or ever flown an Air Force One is that God established them. Is that clear? God is in control. God has established every leader that there is, that there will be, and there has been. For his divine purpose. So it doesn't really matter who's in the White House. Jesus is on the throne. I don't know why God allows evil governments. But here's what I do know. No country, no state, nor city, and no church has ever had a good leader. Did you know that? There has never been a good leader in the terms of perfection. And the reason for that is because Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 18, No one is good except God alone. Again, that settles the matter. I am a sinner. I failed, and I will fail. And people in the White House will fail. People in Salem here, they will continue to fail. Especially if they, they don't know God. They want nothing to do with God. What do you expect? Furthermore, Paul confirms that in Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why, church, why would we ever place our trust in a local government? Why would we place our hopes in, in, in a federal government? Because there has never been a perfect president. There's going to be a perfect king that is going to rule the world. His name is Jesus Christ. 
although I don't know why God allows evil governments, and you don't have the answer to that question either. But here's what we do know from Scripture. Matthew 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So we take great comfort in knowing that God is so powerful, so sovereign, that he turns the hearts of the rulers, the civil authorities here, wherever he wishes. Now, God is going to hold everyone accountable for their actions. But the the local leaders, federal leaders, our president, every president we've ever had, every president we will ever have, they serve a divine purpose, whether they know it or not, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, because the Bible says it, and that settles the matter. So we do not need to know why God places evil rulers in power. Here's what we need to know. We need to know his character, which he has revealed clearly in his word. He is sovereign. He is good. He is kind. He's patient. We need to know his forbearance and his holiness. That's what we need to know, and that should be enough to give us comfort to know I'm serving here a greater purpose. There is no authority other than the ones that have been established by God. And because everything he does lines up with his nature, we should trust that his mysterious purpose will bring honor and glory to him because we walk by faith, not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. So if we disagree with local rules, if we disagree with local laws, we have an opportunity to participate in that process. But even if that process doesn't happen the way we're expecting, we walk by faith, not by sight. We take great comfort in knowing that there is no one good except God alone, And we long for that government. See, that's another reason why we will never live under a good, godly, a perfect country or state or or city. Because God wants to purify our affections. Because imagine if we were living under a perfect government, we would never long for heaven. So we obey civil laws. We pay our taxes. And we do that in faith for the Lord's sake. See, if you're, if you're confused about this, be confused no more. 1 Peter 2 verse 15, such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The problem is for us is well, people are so confused in our, they don't know what, what's right and what's wrong. We live under an inverted value system now where good is bad and bad is good. Well, the word of God tells us what is right. The word of God tells us what is true. So God expects us to be model citizens. He has not called us to destroy property. He has not called us to deface public monuments or occupy public buildings. Quite the opposite. Listen to how Paul instructs a pastor. He's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, First of all, our urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, all people in this case, for kings and all who are in authority. So church, you and I are called upon to pray for Governor Brown, to pray for President Biden, to pray for our city mayor and our county commissioners. Whether we like them or not, whether we agree with their policies or not, we are called upon to pray for them. And he continues, for kings and all who are in authority, we are to pray for them so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. You see, we are to live quiet lives. We speak up against evil. Yes, there's a venue for that. There's an opportunity for that. But we are to pray for the kings and and, and presidents and our local leaders. We are citizens of heaven first, Americans second. In our quiet obedience, according to this text, quiet obedience to the authority speaks louder than any angry protest. I hope that's clear. 
precisely because we know who really is in charge, don't we? We know that God is in charge. Now let's talk about the only one exception to this rule, shall we? Whenever there's a conflict between what the state tells you or the federal government tells you, what the Bible tells you to do, then there is no discussion, there's no question, there's no need to rise up in rebellion. We quietly say no. We faithfully continue to obey Scripture. Why? Because we must recognize the origin of authority. The people who are in authority over us are only there because God has allowed them temporary authority. Here's the second part of that. We recognize the origin of authority, but we also resist the opposition to authority. Listen to Romans 13, verses 2 through 4 very carefully. This is what Paul says. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God and an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I mean, you, you don't get any clearer than that, church. I want you to circle the expressions, ministers of God, in your Bible there in that passage. Romans 13, verses 2 through 4. The repetition is deliberate. God wants us to understand this concept very clearly. Governments have a divine mandate. And because Paul used the picture of a sword here, we're going to borrow that image of the two cutting edges of that sword to identify here and illustrate the twofold divine responsibility of civil leaders. Okay, that's all in the text. There is a twofold responsibility from God to civil leaders. Now, remember, they're going to be held accountable to how they fulfilled those responsibilities. The first one is to prevent evil. The second one is to promote good. Every government exists according to God to prevent evil. The sword executes capital punishment which restrains evil. That is why Paul warns, evildoers, be afraid. Now today, a gun in the hand of a policeman does that, or a machine gun in the hand of a marine or a navy seal accomplishes that restraining ministry. Now there's a completely different mission for you and me as a church. Now you and I are not called upon to exact punishment. See, our job is not to produce punishment. That's the job of the government. You want to know what Jesus commands for believers? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Here's the second cutting edge of that metaphorical sword to promote good. Listen to how Paul concludes this whole discussion in Romans 13, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, again, here's the therefore again. That means he's concluding his thought. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake, for because this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, Tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Church, you don't get any clearer than that. You must pay taxes. You pay your taxes to fund government. That is a divine design because they are ministers of God. They serve a divine purpose. And the cities who have tried defunding the police are now paying a hefty price and seeing people get killed on a daily basis because of that silly political and godless policy. But you ask, Pastor, what do we do when the government passes these godless laws, like abortion or defunding the police, for example? Remember that our job as a church is we are the pillar and the support of truth. Let's never lose sight of that. We proclaim the truth. We live the truth. We preach the word in season and out of season, according to 2 Timothy 4.2, which means that I am supposed to preach the word of God, whether I have freedom to do so or, or there are Gestapo guards at the door. 
I am to preach the word whether or not that's going to cost my own life. And if you're a believer in Christ and you are to proclaim Christ, it's the same thing. I do it from the pulpit, you do it from your day-to-day life, whether that costs your life or not. And that accomplishes much more than a revolt. We proclaim the truth, we warn that everyone, including presidents, kings, governors, and justices, will have to give an account for the higher authority that there is. And by the way, the world will only be a better place when Christ comes. And even before that, the world will only be a better place when you aim at the heart, when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because you can regulate behavior all you want, but if you leave the heart untouched, people will continue to be evil unless they are converted, unless God gives them a new heart. That can only happen through the new birth in Christ. So if we choose to exercise our constitutional rights, we do it peacefully, gently, prayerfully, without speaking evil of everyone, which is a a real temptation for all of us if we don't agree with our leaders, and always seeking God for the conversion of those unsaved governors or presidents. Now, I will close with this. If you think you have an evil government, I encourage you to read church history. Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Romans and 1 Peter. The church thrives under government persecution. If God ever calls us, this generation of Americans, to go through that, may it be for his honor, for his glory, for the proclamation of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom of God. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost through the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.